he had been in foster care his entire life. I watched him as he had been in the system and he wasn't jaded. He is super positive. I mean, think about the word of providing. He provided me with just this sense of, I can continue to push and do the best I can do and still make a big impact in my life. And when I started working with him, it changed my thought process of, I really want to do as much as I can to give back and work with folks in the community that I can assist. And I switched from the business world and said, I don't want to do this anymore. My friend Hathaway Pendergrass joins me as today's podcast guest. He is the district court judge of Orange and Chatham counties here in North Carolina. We met each other through a shared workout group and community, so it comes as no surprise that he joined me for this 67-day challenge, which we challenged ourselves in a variety of different ways of establishing new healthy habits. And what I was fascinated to learn about Hathaway was what was the driver behind his passion of serving his community so authentically? And how he's able to still at the same time provide for himself with healthy boundaries. Enjoy this conversation with my friend, Judge Hathaway Pendergrass. Welcome to the Become a Provider podcast, a show about how people bless and protect others and how you can do the same. I'm your host, Justin Thomas. Let's begin. Hathaway, welcome to the podcast. Uh, It is awesome to be here on this glorious night Long-time listener, first-time caller in terms of I've listened to every single podcast, I believe, on your uh, amazing show. Well, I'm sorry it took this long for you to be a guest, but it's perfect timing as we'll talk about why. And this is a treat, too, having you on the, the front porch so we can do this together. I'd like to start with how you provide for me, but I'm going to change it a little bit because to provide some context for the listeners of how impressive it is that you provide for me in this way, you are a busy guy, a lot of community involvement. I'm not going to go through everything, but I just want to mention a few things you've done that I've known about firsthand and I did a little bit of research before this because you donated your time to me and that's always impressive and that's that's a way of providing for a friend, but especially when you're involved in things like this. So I'm just going to list over some of the things you've done in the community. So here you go. Sit back and relax. This is a long list. So board of directors, the Orange County Rape Crisis Center, president of the 15B Judicial District Bar, member of the Racial Justice Task Force, volunteer attorney for a variety of nonprofits, served as a teen court judge, volunteer attorney for the farmer's market, I've been involved in local county uh, planning boards, et cetera, right? So, so you've been busy. And so all that to say, thank you for providing for me, given all the things you've done in your life. And one of the more recent things that you did for me was to be my encouragement buddy for the 67-day Matter Ladder Challenge. Oh, yeah, encouragement buddy. That's a nice phrase. Just all-in partner, 100%. Yeah, yeah. What a time. And so we'll get into the details with that. But in another context, too, is how we connected originally was we both moved to Hillsborough around the same time. And then we're part of the men's workout group, F3. There wasn't a local chapter here in Hillsborough. And one of the ways that you provided for me was to actually volunteer in leadership to say, hey, Justin, I'd love to start a new site. So that moment stands out to me as you saying, oh, yeah, like even though I'm involved in all these different community things, I want to spend time to launch that. So why did you do that? Why did you say, I want to help you, Justin? And thank you for doing that, by the way. Yeah. So I got involved with F3 uh, January, uh, that would have been 2017. And living in Carborough, Kate and I moved in June. Between January and June, a lot of times I would go to workouts in Chapel Hill or Carborough. And there was one specifically that I loved. It would on Fridays going to in Southern Village, a neighborhood in the area where it was very 
right in the center of the community. And so like it would draw from all types of neighborhood members. It was just a really great piece that I, at that time I didn't have because I lived on a main street. Like I didn't have those type of neighbors. I saw that worked really well. And then I came up here and I heard about this guy named Nickelback who had started Hillsborough. That's why I call it, I mean, we can get into what calling it Northern Province, but Hillsborough is in the middle of the county. It's the county seat. It's not like it's some far-flung place. It's an amazing town. But it was like this man has created this entire group in a far-off place. And so when I got up here, I thought, I want to help you. I had the experience of watching it work in the neighborhood, and I was really just taken by your leadership, what we could create here. And also, the very easy answer is I made it in my neighborhood so I could wake up at 5.05 and just jog over to my little site there. So it was a combination of both. I went through that laundry list of things you're involved in because I think it just goes to show how when something's a priority, we make time for it. And so for you, you said, hey, what's a priority for me is I want to establish relationships in this new neighborhood of mine and also be physically fit. And you said to yourself, even though I've got a long list of things I'm involved in, I'm willing to take on one more thing. So uh, I think that's a good lesson for us all. And so maybe that's a good place to start is what motivates you to serve the community in such an intentional way? One item on that is I'm from here. So having grown up in Orange County my, and lived here for 35 years, I have a lot of experience with the community. And when I was a young man growing up, watching folks provide for me all the way through through high school, through college, and then back when I started my own profession, people continuously providing for me. And the wonderful thing about our community is that it's still so small, but it's very engaged. And it's that type of community where you go to the grocery store, you at least know somebody, no matter where you are. And you can make a really big impact by just being involved with one organization, really diving into one task. And I love to make that impact on for folks who had done so much for me. And then the second piece, the motivation is just my own family, especially my wife. She and I both believe in each of us being individuals and providing for our community. And she has motivated me to want to give more. So it's still, I think about it, I, I absolutely, this community is so wonderful. I used to compare it when I used to live in Atlanta or in Tampa, these great big cities where I would go to the grocery store and I could not, I didn't know anybody and I couldn't have a conversation with anyone. And then here, even if I don't know somebody, I'll strike up a conversation. It's just the hospitality of our community. And knowing that, I have always wanted to just, to, when I came back, when I went to law school, I just wanted to give back as much as I could. Well, you mentioned law school. And you don't come from a long list of attorneys or people in that profession. So what in the world drew you to law and what motivated you to take that path? Yeah, so I have a great, I mean, just a wonderful cousin, but he is connected through my mom, their parents were first cousins, that kind of, that's like the closest I have to somebody who was an attorney in my life. It was when I was living in Atlanta. I had graduated from Carolina and I went, a uh, really great job living in Atlanta, doing commercial real estate lending. And I would finish the day and go home and I would have nothing to do. I mean, it was great. Like when you were in college and all you do is like study after you go to class, having a job that pays you good money, you got good money in your pocket to just then say, oh, I can just stay at home and watch TV. That sounds great until you do it. And I just felt I wasn't doing anything for anybody. I wasn't giving anything to the community. And so I got engaged with this group. It was a volunteer organization that worked with foster teens. And I got paired up with this 
one guy, he was about six years younger than I am, and he had been in foster care his entire life. I watched him as he had been in the system, and he wasn't jaded. He was super positive. I mean, think about the word providing. He provided me with just this sense of I can continue to push and do the best I can do and still make a big impact in my life. And when I started working with him, it changed my thought process of I really want to do as much as I can to give back and work with folks in the community that I can just assist. And I switched from the business world and said, I don't want to do this anymore. It was just watching a, a young man who, till this day, we still communicate with one another. He's married and still living in Georgia. He's an awesome man. He just motivated me to just want to change my life around and just switch from the business world and, and to not just engage in giving back in the volunteer time as well, but also get in my work and the actual day-to-day -day stuff that would be also working in the community. So of all the things to pick, what made you say, I want to be a volunteer foster friend to a teen? So there was someone who I worked with whose father had created this, this organization, who, and I thought it could be something I could do after work that would be more fulfilling in my life. And so I didn't expect to get out of it as what I have gotten out of it, which was one relationship. It wasn't like I got multiple mentees. I got one mentee, and he's still my, I guess, technical and my, technically my mentee today. Literally was just, I, <laughs> I want something to do. I just want something to do that made, that fulfilled me, that would, that would provide for me. Yeah. And so you did that. And I'm curious, what training or what they say for you to do? Was it just like, hey, have a good befriend this show guy? Show up. Here. Really show up, right? Just the folks we were working with. And the, I mean, just from the idea of things that I would take for granted, the privileges that I was already yeah, been provided in my life. Like, how do you set up a bank account? How do you open a bank account? Start from that rudimentary kind of setup in life for someone who's 18 or so, but doesn't have any, never had that support. But the biggest piece was just being present in that person's life and continuously showing up. I like one of the things that changed me. I'm a very emotional person. I like to say, I, I love you. It's just always kind of how I was raised. And I remember I had this conversation with my mentee when we were on the phone. I, we were a couple of years into knowing one another, I think about a year maybe knowing each other and we're getting ready to hang up it's just a normal call during the week and i just all right well you have a great night love you and i heard a pause i mean there was a legitimate you know three second pause or so and then he said i love you and it felt like he didn't say it but i felt like he had not been that was not a normal thing for someone to say to him it wasn't normal for him to say it back to somebody but we didn't discuss it and I didn't think about it. I mean, I didn't think about it when I said it. I just, it just, it was like a normal how I was raised. And that was, it was one of those moments where I'm like, yeah, this is, this is right. I'm learning so much from him. I hope he's learning from me. It became something that I just kept, became engaged with, with working with him, working with him. And it just, it became a real friendship. And it, again, the original question was, how did I get to that next step? If I wanted to go to law school. And it was just watching somebody who traversed the system. So, I mean, from when he was under five years old, three or so, and do it in such a way that he did it with just grace and, and continue to like trust in people. Just someone along the way did something right in the system to assist, to help him, to keep that trust, I would say. And then he also just is the person who he is to maintain that. Yeah, it's funny to reflect on it because, you know, as we went through the laundry list of things that you're involved in, it really starts with that one relationship. 
and it changed you, it changed him, and then it made you think, okay, well, I want to do more in my life, my career, and so it sounds like helping others through the legal system. And then what motivated you to go to Central? Because that's a unique decision and yeah. a very intentional one as well. So strike that. I didn't know I wanted to come back to North Carolina. I just applied everywhere. If we could have stayed anywhere, my wife and I at that time, we had been dating for a long time, and we were engaged. And I think if I could have gotten into law school in Atlanta or in Tampa, where we currently were, where we were at that time, we would have gone there. But it was I knew about how good the actual lawyers were, the litigators, and it was in my home state. And putting those together, just this great reputation within the state. It was one of those things that just hit me and struck me as this is what I – the work that central lawyers are so known for is community work and really getting their hands dirty and engaging in representation of clients. And I knew about that a little bit. I heard about it, but in my research, I saw that. And it really interested me. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I wanted to work in the community. Well, that obviously happened. And so you go back to law school and you start practicing law. And, you know, I think there was one interview that I read that you mentioned a case that stood out to you. And you can talk about any case you want to, but I think it's kind of fun for people to know, like, what does a lawyer actually do compared with, like, what they watch on Suits or some, you know, TV show with it. And I think it was you had mentioned that there was a particular case that stood out to you about someone that was in recovery court, suffered from substance disorder, abuse disorder for about 20 years. They were facing prison time. You were there as their attorney, and the judge had compassion on them. Feel free to talk about a different case if you want to, but that one stood out to me as one that seemed like what a powerful moment that you're able to help that person through that time and see the grace that a judge gives to someone. Yeah. I'm not surprised did the research that you did to find that. So that was a case where I've known this family for a long time, and my client had, as you said, been suffering from substance abuse issues for decades. And once you start to suffer like that, it I mean, it's a disease, and it is an intentional day-to-day fight. And we have a wonderful recovery court that is essentially a vehicle to get services that can result in a dismissal from a case and essentially provide treat the underlying issues that bring you to court that are not just you committed a crime. And we have done a wonderful job in our community of attempting to treat the person and not and their underlying issue, not just put them in a box. As to, I say put them in a box, say, you've been charged with this, this is uh, your record, boom, that's it. And that person had been in that recovery court on multiple occasions without me being their attorney previously, before I even was actually licensed to be a lawyer. And they, while they were in recovery court, they were recovering and still fighting through issues such that there was a kind of a consensus with the the treatment team at that point to boot that person from the recovery court and booting that person from the recovery court had in that in that situation grave consequences such as we got to proceed forward with either having a trial or pleading to something knowing that we have real jail time hanging over this person's head so this whole the recovery team had this idea and this what they wanted to do but of course, the one person who makes the call in that situation, you know, the team comes to an agreement potentially, is the judge. And, you know, I just worked so hard. I brought out all the examples of the wonderful work this person's doing and what they mean to their community and how they are as a parent, especially when they're clean and how hard they are working. 
And the judge sided with me and decided, you know what, we're going to give them another chance. And what the judge told me at that time is something that has now stuck with me and as a judge now has really imprinted something in my mind that shared a story of, it was something around, something somebody had told him a story of someone who had been in treatment over more than 40 times. And a number that is seems in our society to be way more, too many chances. And to say on that X number of time that was you know more than 40, it's stuck. So much so as you don't give up. I'm not going to give up on, uh, on this person. I wasn't going to as their attorney, but he wasn't as the judge going to give up on them because I'd seen evidence that it can work. And for me, it showed, you know, have created in our society the three strike system or, you know, you get one chance at doing certain things. Like, what, where has this come from? We literally have just created these, uh, even in baseball, literally three strikes. Whatever it is, we have created this narrative of what we think is acceptable in society, when in reality, we are the most complicated of all things as humans. And what we go through, having patience and believing that we can change, that really stuck with me. It was a great moment. They're doing great, my client, my former client. I can't represent them anymore, but they're great. Their family's doing well. And that person graduated from the recovery court. as the first time I ever went to a recovery court graduation. I gave them a big hug. Their family was there. I walked out of the treatment facility that night, and the wind was blowing like this. It was a little brisk, and I just took in a deep breath and just thought how much this person deserved that chance. And it's just, and it stays with me today of I'm not giving up. There's not a set box for anybody for me to say, I'm only going to give you three strikes. I'm only going to give you two attempts, whatever. No, we all should be provided that grace to do the best that we can. Of course, there are consequences. And it's not, in my mind, it's when I campaigned, I really believe this message, I was able to get out to the community of justice with dignity and meeting people where they are when they come before me in the courtroom and that's what I said I wanted to do, and that's what I try to do every day. And that's one of those, literally one of those things that focused my mind on that was that type of case of this person brings so much baggage to the courtroom, and me expecting them to be somewhere when they come to the courtroom, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair in a courtroom. It's just not fair in life. This is what I think you should be like, and meeting people where they are in that situation that has a lot of consequences is a perfect way to start. Yeah, so now you're a district court judge, which is great. And that took some intentional decisions on your part to say, hey, I want to once again change lanes, right? Like just like you did before with living in Florida, going to North Carolina, back to back home and deciding to change careers. You're married, you're starting to raise a family. And then, you know, you're being successful. You're very involved in the community, still a young professional in a number of ways. And so take us to that moment that you said, yeah, like I'm willing to take a risk and let's change course and let's go after this thing. Because it's not easy to go through an election. I mean, I don't know anything about that, but just walk us through that decision process. So I graduated from law school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just didn't. And I, I tried. I worked a small law firm. I worked in a district attorney's office. I worked uh, with the attorney general in that office. I, I clerked for a judge. I just, I wanted to just figure out what I wanted to do. And I just was so lucky that I got hired by one of the most, I mean, the most amazing law firm in our community ever, really, in my opinion. And they brought me on as 
with the idea that I would be there for a long time and kind of the opportunity to take it over. And I was just so mentored so in such a way that they were one of the reasons why I got involved in so many community things because they wanted me to have a life outside of practicing law. They taught me how to be a community lawyer. I just had this wonderful setup for a long time. And this position opened up with our, one of our judges who retired. I did, there's a maximum age that you can be a judge in North Carolina, and they reached that age. And I was sitting around like this with Kate, and I brought it up. And I've also always tossed out wild ideas to Kate. And she's known me since I was 16. And she is very honest with you know my schemes or ideas. And she just looked at me and she said, you would be great at that. That would be amazing. That's a perfect fit. Let's do it. And for her to like even say that, that was next level for me. Because if you're going to engage in something like that, you have to have your partner's not approval, their support. It doesn't mean they need to be out campaigning everything, but just to have that buy-in as a family buy-in, I had to have that. You have to have that to be successful, not just during the campaign, but right after the campaign. That's when it really matters. And she did. And it felt like I could give back in a different way. My work was so one-on-one with my clients. And now I have the opportunity to be in front of hundreds of people every day uh, and take that intentional work of meeting people where they are and trying to get to know them as best I can in a very short amount of time period and assisting victims, the defendants that come before me, the parties, the children that come before me. And I mean, it all started with an idea just sitting around like this with Kate and just <laughs> just say, let's do it. Let's do it. If I didn't get that blessing or that support or that, yeah, we got this, I would have done it. And there's a lot there, right? Of being humble enough to ask your spouse, is this a good idea? And then to receive that direct feedback and you, you, you went all in it. And I, what I got to see was you had healthy boundaries as well. So once you started the campaign, you had a healthy boundary that I know of, and I'm sure you had many of them, but it was like, Hey guys, I'm not going to show up at the workout unless I can get at least five hours worth of sleep. And I know you were traveling all over just meeting people and get your name out there because that's what you needed to do. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, Setting boundaries was huge, and it could just you could easily burn out in that situation because it is a you are a fast runner, and it is one of watching you run. It is a you got to keep pace and you got to go hard, but you can't just run your five minute mile that you can run now the entire time, or you're not going to make it. But that was I I've had that discussion many times with folks about should we elect, should we appoint? What do you think about have get our judges into office or in the, onto the bench and I really like the election process from the sense of being my position as a district court judge. It's a people's court. It is the most like more than 95% of cases. If you're going to court, you're going to district court from traffic tickets to DWIs to smaller drug cases to family disputes, custody, divorces, small lawsuits, juvenile cases. We take we have the brunt of cases that come through the court system. And there's no better way to be a community judge in the people's court than to know your community. And I have known my community here forever. And that's one of the other things that allow me to be successful is just having built relationships for decades. But I met more people that I had I'd never met in my life through this process. And for them to understand that I have heard their story and their community story and continue to learn every day and then take that into the court, that's invaluable. It's invaluable for 
the electorate, for the community members to know who have to who elect us, and it's for the judge to know you're in that neighborhood. I know that neighborhood. I know those families. I know that you know. I know that kind of have a finger on the pulse of the community is so important to be an effective jurist in this type of work. There are other appellate work where you're working across the state, and of course you're dealing with real kind of creation of law here. We're applying the law to the facts, and it is very quick. We're making lots and lots and lots and lots of decisions all day long. The most effective way to do that is to be a community member, a real community member. And so you mentioned you're making a lot of decisions over and over again. There's a risk of not only burning out on the campaign, but as you mentioned, after the campaign, you're fortunate enough to win it, which, by the way, that was your March 2020. I mean, that's how that that was at the beginning of this pandemic. Here you are and you're celebrating campaign victory. Yeah. So March 3rd was the primary. And here in our area, there was half partisan races uh, for judges in North Carolina and there was no Republican candidate. So I won the Democratic primary so that whoever was going to win that primary was going to take the seat in November which worked out because of everything that happened with the pandemic where the timing was perfect. Normally we would be probably in May, but in terms of our primary North Carolina during a a presidential election, but North Carolina wanted to be a part of Super Tuesday. And it was perfect time for the sense of we could run the full campaign 100%. Primary was on March 3rd. And then just the following week, I was in new judges school and that Friday was when all of the different basketball tournaments and other types of things were shutting down. And I was like, well, this is real. And I remember I, was in, I wasn't yet an elected judge. I wasn't an appointed judge yet. I was on the bench, but I was with new judges who were on the bench. And they were all getting these emails on Friday afternoon. It was Friday morning, late Friday morning, one of our last sessions. And they were all getting emails from their – or texts from their other fellow judges of, we, we've got to talk. Court's getting ready. We're it's shutting down. Things are getting ready to shut down. And there was just this kind of mass of, not hysteria, just mass of things are changing right now. You can literally see it changing in front of you. And uh, I will never forget that as uh, we were finishing up that week. And we went from the week before, when the primary, new judges school, shut down for COVID. <laughs> what a time. Well, and like you said, it was a blessing that you had a chance to campaign, really get out in the community and go through that election process, which would be very different a year later, but no one knew about it. Fortunately, you're able to go through that. And now that you're a judge, you're making all these decisions, what are ways that you're trying to provide for yourself that you stay fresh and new? And, and you know, I know that you, you and I just went through this challenge, which seems really hard. And I don't know if that helped or hurt, but just reflect on what are you doing for yourself at the moment? I just took on a 67-day challenge with one of my really good friends. That's exactly what I I mean. The interesting thing with it is it's a lot of intentional work, and that's that's what I've really kind of gotten into in the last, I don't know, a few years, especially with having kids, being intentional with everything that I'm doing and intentional with how I'm interacting with my kids, what my schedule looks like to make sure I'm present there with them, to knowing – I've got a full day in court where I'm going to be sitting and all people just need me to make decision after decision after decision after decision. And I've got to give myself space mentally to just not think about that. Working out, doing our F3 stuff, running a lot. I've really gotten into running to just kind of – that always used to be something that I could do to clear my mind. 
but to clear my mind and do it in a way that was pushing myself even more with more miles and miles and miles is why we're, I'm running a thousand miles this year. That's one of, one of the reasons why I did that goal to give me something really to hone into. But just the way that my days are structured, they're really intentional of, I think I, I'm not, this is not going to be a day that I'm going to do anything. I'm going to sleep until, you know, I'm going to sleep in, which now saying I'm sleeping until six sounds unbelievably strange. It is a lot of, a lot of structured days and a lot of, as many, I don't want to make a decision every single throughout the day that I don't have to. I joke about that with, with Kate. Let's talk about ahead of time what we want to have for dinner. I don't, don't ask me because I've already made uh, hundreds of decisions today. It's the same thing of like picking out uh, – I had heard this about President Obama. I think it was – I believe it was around the only decision he had to make was his tie color like for his wardrobe. He had everything set because he had, he had to make so many decisions every day. That's the only thing he had to make in the morning. You know, something like that where you just take that brain power and just kind of just save it for other things that are going to be stressful. But I've really tried hard with our technological age to be present with we, – we both have wonderful – two wonderful kids – to be present with them at all times when I am at home. My schedule allows me to be at home a lot. We finish at five, I'm able to get home. I'll share this. You know, I think it was it was before the pandemic, and it was one of those it was one of those moments of I need to be really intentional, being there, being present. Eliza, my oldest, had said to me, I was sitting on the couch, I was on my phone doing some work, and she said, "Hey, Dad, do you want to play?" I and I said no, and it stuck with me later that night because I know there's this definite number of times that she'll ever ask me to play with her again. I don't know what that number is, but it is a finite number, right? That's there. Just can't see it. So I've now taken that as, and that was know, a couple of years ago. I stepped from that, my improvement. Whenever she says, let's, do you want to play? If I can literally make it happen, I say yes. And we'll just, it doesn't matter what's going on. I say yes. Um, and that was been one of my most favorite kind of, intentional thoughts to work on because it's easy to, to do the to play when you're in the mood or you know I got time I say I got time you know quote unquote I've got time but making that time for that wonderful human no matter what I've really been working hard on that well what I love is this challenge that we all have of you want to give to others like you just mentioned like what a beautiful example of giving to your daughter and then giving to your family in general the time that they need and they deserve, and then also having those healthy boundaries of investing into yourself. And I think that's why it was so fun to have you on the podcast now, because here we are six, seven days later after taking on some new daily habits of challenging ourselves from drinking a gallon of water to exercising 45 minutes a day, journaling, a variety of things, right? And so what are your thoughts with, well, first, what stands out to you about the challenge? And then how do you balance like investing into yourself so that you can be a blessing to others? The first thing that stood out was that is a lot of water. It's 67 gallons of water we had to drink. And the first night, I think I texted you, I drank, I miscalculated my water intake, and I drank like a gallon and a half. And I was leaning over the sink, and I thought, what am I doing? Like, what am I, I can't do this. And then I realized I miscalculated, and I drank too much water. So, and it was my favorite part. If I had to pick one thing that was my favorite part, was what we had to do was we had to send a positive message to somebody every day. Whether that was speaking to them in person 
or texting them or emailing them, just communicating with them. That made such a difference for me and the people who I was communicating with. And the other thing that was really, um, really amazing, I realized how often I was doing that already, which I didn't really think about. I just, you know, with my work, I've been in person uh, with most of my work now. I've, it's not um, on our, our Zoom equivalents, WebEx. We, we do that as well, but we're really in person. And, you know, seeing people who I work with and just telling them how good of a job that they're doing, you know, just that kind of stuff. I was already doing that. And I thought, gosh, I, I just need to keep doing it like just and stay intentional. But the fun piece was reaching out to the person who I'm friends with, but we hadn't caught up in a while and just said, you know, I just want to let you know how much of an inspiration you are to me, how, how much of a wonderful father and friend you are. I know you're doing so well professionally. Just keep doing it. I love you. Just pass it on, you know, positive thoughts. And then just, and that would start like a chain of seven texts. And then at the end, what was really cool, I didn't share this with you yet, there was about six of really close group of guys who I then sent a group text on the last day. And I said, this is what I was doing the whole time. Most of y'all knew what I was doing, but you didn't know why I was texting you or calling you so much because I was also just calling people. And I just want to tell you how much I love every single one of you, how much you all have done for me, every single one of you, or this, that, and the other. And then started a chain reaction of them texting each other back and forth as well. And it was, I hadn't, I didn't think about that until the final couple of days of what I want, how I wanted to do that. And it felt really cool to do that. And I stayed, I didn't respond to any of those texts until the next day after the challenge. It was good. We joked of how strange so many of the things were that we had to do and how they complain about it. But it was just, it was really great. It was great to do it with you. It really was. I guess that as we close our conversation here, the thing I wanted to kind of understand a little bit, and I'm asked a little bit of it earlier, but what are your thoughts with how do you balance providing for others and providing for yourself? Like, you know, what encouragement would you have for others? What have you learned, whether it's being that mentee, the attorney, the judge, the husband, the leader in the community, you know, finding that beautiful balance or energy that you can give to yourself and to others so it's this virtuous cycle it wasn't on your podcast it was another podcast with some it was not a similar question but it was a response of you know when you're on the uh, on an airplane and the first uh, when they go through the instructions and they say if the masks are deployed put yours on first and then put it on the other child that you're with or the other person that you're with I remember the first time I heard that, I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, how selfish is that? But as you get older and you mature and you realize what that really means and you kind of go off on that, for me, you got to work on yourself first and you've got to find what works in your schedule, your intentionality to be that, that best person or that best provider that you can be and providing for yourself first. Start from there. Because anything that you are lacking is going to impact the other folks you're providing for. Whether you don't get enough sleep, literally, you know, you're exhausted, or professionally you're not succeeding where you want to, not going to be able to provide potentially as well. I say it in court all the time. My philosophy on, for instance, if I have two parents who are fighting over custody of a child, I tell them, I'm just going to be honest with you. I say this every time. I want as many parental figures in someone's life who can be there to provide for a child as long as they are 
not harming the child, whether it's physically or emotionally, and they are, and that adult is as healthy as possible in terms of like what they can provide. So essentially working on themselves. And there's so many things that I talk about with parents who come before me or even in criminal court that we need to work on you right now to get to that next level of what you need to provide for, who you need to help. You know, I say it in, in juvenile court all the time to, to kids who are brought before me. They have, maybe they've been charged with a serious crime, but based on their age, the system is such that we treat them like a juvenile, like we should. You know, they're, they haven't formed, their brain capacity is not that of an adult at that point. So we should treat them like children and work with them, provide the services that really are necessary. And within that, what I always tell them is, first I say, if you're going to make a mistake, this is the time to make a mistake. Is this right now? Do you have anybody depending on you? No. Do you have a job? No. You're trying to get through school? Yes. All right. Well, that right now, you don't, you are not a provider. You're part of a family. You're part of a, you know, a, a group. And this is a learning experience. And within that, I want you to be selfish. When I say that, a lot of folks might think, I want you to be selfish. I want you to think about yourself and work on yourself. Take care of yourself. If you can do that, that's going to benefit you tenfold coming out of this. It's where you can provide for others. You can get into school that you want to go to. You can get that job. And you can have all of that built up and ready for that family that you want to create or whatever you want to do professionally in life. Being selfish right now. So being selfish as an individual taking care of yourself from the sense of, if you think of the word selfish as a bad thing, but in that sense of being selfish to make sure you are centered and you are ready to, to receive knowledge and be patient and then to provide for others. That's the best way to do it. You have to obviously thread that needle of you don't want to just always work on yourself and not work on the folks who you're trying to provide for but you have to start with yourself. And thanks for sharing your story too, because I think it's fascinating to just learn a little bit more about the people that you interact with, but to just have that genuine appreciation for, man, you know, we didn't just all get here. There's been a lot of decisions that you had to make to do what you're doing now, right? I mean, people look at you, you are the judge, and there's these assumptions about how you got there. And I just think, you know, I appreciate you sharing your story about, you know, all the decisions you had to make and some that you were sure of and some you weren't so sure of and what, brought you to here so thanks it's all the, the those intentional decisions you're right because you you asked me as i'm thinking about these things and the best decision the best decision i ever made was when i was at chapel Hill high school and i saw this girl who uh, i was so impressed by and i just thought gosh i i'd love to to go on a date with her 21 years later been married since 2009 and that decision was the best decision for me and the most intentional that I'd ever made. I've never been that intentional to be like, no, we're gonna, I, I really want to make this work. <laughs> no matter even though she was ready to break up with me, I really want to make this work. <laughs> you asked me earlier what I've been working on personally and what I, this 67 day challenge helped me work on was my patience and not just patience and work, but patience at home, patience in general and the meditating, the journaling, the reading, all of it built into something that I have really enjoyed the past couple months of my just level of patience and working on myself so I can be a better, better provider as well. Well, congratulations. We did it. And thank you for uh, doing it with me. 
You couldn't be a bigger provider for me for what you did in the past two months from pushing me. I, I remember there's one piece too. Where Kate was like, I was like, ah, I can't do this. She's like, oh, that's, that's okay. And I said, no, like if I mess up, Justin has to start over. You don't understand that. She said, no, no, that's not right. And I said, yeah, that's right. And the other thing that Justin said to me was, hey, if it happens, it happens. We'll, we'll get it. Yeah, we've got 365 days to get this. <laughs> and, like, I understand that. And I know that you would do that because that's who you are. But that's a lot of pressure. To be like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let him do that. We're going to get this done. And for me personally, you came into my life with this, with, I needed it. I think we all need it. Hey guys, Justin again. Before you take off, just a couple things. First, I want to ask if you would enjoy getting a short email from me every Wednesday called A Kind Word. It provides a little positivity to help you get over hump day. It's free and shares highlights of things that have brought me joy over the past week. If you want to start getting a kind word from me, sign up at justinthomascoaching.com by entering your email address and you'll get the next one. That's justinthomascoaching.com. Also during this episode, Hathaway mentioned about a 67 day challenge and I've created a free online course. If you want to do a similar challenge by going online at justinthomascoaching.com, sign up for the online course and start developing some healthy habits today and potentially do it with a friend. So thanks so much for listening. Bless and protect.